Hey, 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 what's up, guys? It is time for another Master Passive Income podcast session. Now, in the Master Passive Income, we talk all about real estate rental properties and how you can create an automatic business, one that runs itself where you don't have to work at all and you still make money. You see, I quit my job when I was 37 years old, and now I literally work one hour, not a day, not a week, but per month. I work one hour a month. That's the only thing I do is I review what other people do. In one month, I work one hour, and the rest of the time, I do whatever I want. Like I travel the world. I go fishing. I go hunting. I play video games. I watch movies. Um, I do so many great things that because I have the time to do whatever I want, and I have the money to do whatever I want because I have an automatic business. Now, today in this podcast session, we're going to be talking to Marco Santarelli, and he's going to explain how he got started investing in real estate and how he uses turnkey real estate to build his business. All right, guys, I'm super excited to have Marco on. He's such a good investor, and we're going to learn a ton from him. So let's get on with the show, and let's get to it. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about investing in real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. All right, now today is Wednesday, and Wednesday is a great day because I love putting out this podcast, giving it to you guys because you guys are fantastic. So, and for those of you that are listening, I super, super appreciate you. I really, really love how you guys are fully engaged and you guys want to quit your job. You see the vision that quitting your job with real estate rental properties is absolutely attainable. Now, I wanna share something with you. Recently, and I get these quite a bit, but because I have a number of rental properties, I get letters in the mail from investors. And this is something I teach in my real estate investing course, the ultimate real estate investing system. I teach how you can send out yellow letters. Well, in fact, this, um, you know, a couple days ago, I actually got a yellow letter from an investor, an investor that was actually wanting to buy my property. Basically, exact same things I teach in my course. You know, it's, you know, hey, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I see your property here. Hey, I'd love to, to talk to you about purchasing your property. I pay cash, you know, a quick closing, all that good stuff. And I actually got that yellow letter. So I took a picture of it. I, you know, scratched out the address, but I'm going to put it on the show notes for this episode so you can see what an actual yellow letter. Now, if you have properties, you've probably received them, or if you even own a home, you've probably seen them, but I'm going to put it on my show notes page. You can go to the show notes page by going to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 047. This is a 47th episode, and you can go there and see the yellow letter and see what somebody else is actually doing to try to get properties. Now, the reason why I bring this up is number one, I got it because I thought it'd be cool to share it with you guys, something I teach in my course, but at the same time, that is a, a way for people to find deals. Now, today, I brought on a fellow investor. His name is Marco Santarelli, and he has a, a bunch of properties. He even started a business doing turnkey real estate. Now, as I said, in the past, I've, I talk about turnkey real estate. And if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back and listen to that one. That's masterpassiveincome.com forward slash zero. 17th episode, so 017. And you can see my opinion about turnkey properties because um, the biggest thing about turnkey properties is you can do this all yourself. Now, there are certain 
people like doctors, lawyers that have plenty of money, they don't want to do any of the work and they're fine with overpaying for properties. I wouldn't say overpaying, just, you know, paying premium for a business set up for them and they buy the property and they get the property manager. And so there's a lot of upsides, but there's a lot of downsides. So again, go back to my podcast where I talk about that. But today we talked to Marco Santorelli, not just about the, the turnkey, but about how he did it and the lessons that he learned. And what I like to think of a turnkey business is basically another tool in an investor's tool belt. Now you and I, we're investors. We have many different ways we find deals. We have the MLS, we have, which is a multiple listing service. We have realtors, we have wholesalers, we have Craigslist, we have other investors. We even also have turnkey properties. Turnkey businesses have properties, they're already set up, hopefully, or usually they have a tenant in there. You can already see what the expenses are and the incomes are. And so you have a somewhat a ready business set up. My opinion is you can do it all yourself and, you, and save a lot of money and make a lot more money, but there's a good amount of people that it would be a good investment investing tool. Again, turnkey properties are another tool in your tool belt, but the biggest thing is you wanna make sure you invest with a good company. There are some bad companies out there. All right, now let's get into the episode. So where we talk to Marco Santarelli and see how he started his business and get his insight on how to do turnkey rental properties well and do it the right way and not get, uh, you know, conned out of money. Uh, okay, so let's get in the show where we talk to Marco. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Thank you for being here with me on the Master Passive Income Podcast. And today I am super excited to have Marco Santarelli in with me. Marco is um, somebody I, I recently met, but as we got to know each other even more and talk about philosophy of investing, I see that we see eye to eye on just about everything. It's, it's really, really great to, to meet somebody like Marco. And so I wanted to bring him on the show so that you can see how somebody else started investing, how they started their business and what has come out of that. So Marco, thank you so much for being here on the show. I'm really, really super excited for you to share your story with everybody. Thank you, Dustin. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where you're, I know you're in California. Um, you know, are you married? Do you have kids? What do you like to do for fun? And, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I, I live in Southern California. I jokingly say I live in the Socialist Republic of California. Um, <laughs> you are a smart man to leave, <laughs> avoid the taxes. Um, but yeah, I, I have a great wife, very patient with me, um, a beautiful uh, daughter, 11 years old. She's super smart. We homeschool her. And so I get the opportunity to teach her financial education. We do play Monopoly. We do play cash flow. Um, so, you know, we have fun with that. Um, I get to show her the rental properties that I buy. Uh, so, she, you know, I'm indoctrinating her very slowly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I love to travel as you do. And, uh, you know, we just came back from Italy last year. We were in Thailand the year before that. So, but what I really like to do, in addition to all the things that are personal, is I love to talk to other investors and teach other investors how to invest and how to be successful at investing and avoid stepping on landmines. You've done it. I've done it. I did it back in 2003, 2004. Uh, so I was able to acquire 84 doors, 84 units in nine months. It was actually all within one year. And I did it so quickly that investors were coming to me saying, hey, can you coach me and mentor me? And unfortunately, I had to say no. I said, no, I don't want to be a coach. I don't want to be a mentor. I don't have the time. I'm just too busy investing. Uh, to make a long story short, that's really how the business started, uh, Norada Real Estate Investments is people were saying, hey, you know, if you can't help me and hold my hand, then why don't you help me find some deals? And so I started 
buying my own deals and then, you know, finding extras and, and making those available to other investors. And really that's how the business was born. But for me, I just, you know, I don't find what I do to be work. I find it to be a game, fun, pleasure. Um, you know, it's, it's every day is just a joy to get up and go out and do what I do. That's, that's fantastic. I'm right there with you. Um, so I, I didn't know you homeschooled your daughter. That's fantastic. We homeschool or sorry, I take that back. My wife does all the homeschooling. She's, she has the easy, or sorry, she has a hard job of doing homeschooling. I have the easy job of making money. So cool. I'd much rather do what I'm doing than she does. So congratulations. Good for you doing the homeschooling. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's fun. It's, it's, it, it, there's more and more people that are actually homeschooling now. It, it actually is a growing trend. And Orange County, California, where I live, is actually a major hub of, of homeschoolers. But, but this trend is actually going on. It has been going on for years across the country because people are wanting to take back control. Uh, and I, I hate to even say that the school system has control over your children. Uh, to some degree, they do because parents just let them go and put them into this indoctrination camp that we call the public school system. But it's good to be able to, first of all, even if they do go to public school, I personally believe that you as parents have the responsibility to educate your children, especially financially, because they don't get that financial education in school. And so where are they going to get it? You know, they have to get it from somebody and you are that role model. You have to be responsible and educate your children. So whether you homeschool or not, look, you, you are responsible for your children. That's fantastic. We can do a whole episode on homeschooling. So I, so everything you said, I'm like I'm right there with you. So good for you. I'm super excited for you. And you're right. There are so many more people that are homeschooling. And um, I, I found that the more I teach my kids, the more I see light bulbs going off in their head in the right way that I know I want them to learn. And I want my boys to be able to provide for their family. I want my girls to be able to not have to worry about money when they get older. And so I teach them how to have principles, put it in place. I don't give them money. Like they literally don't get, they don't get an allowance. That's not something like, it's a privilege to be in this family. So anyways, we could keep going on all that sort of stuff. Um, so I'm really interested in, you said you got 84 properties when you first started, I started in 2006 when I started buying, buying property. You started, you said 2002, 2003? Uh, the end of, the end of 03, really it was into 04. Okay. So tell us how you got, actually, let's, let's start with the very, very first property. Was it multifamily? Was it a single home? How'd you get started with that? Well, the very first property I bought was, a, was an end unit townhome. I was 18 years old. I just turned 18. And the reason I had to wait essentially is because I couldn't qualify for financing until I was 18 years old. Um, so I bought that in townhome. I, I, it needed some work, so I fixed it up with the help of my uncle who was a, a carpenter. And um, it took you know weeks, but at, at, at the end of the day, we got it done. Uh, there was no internet back then, so advertising was essentially sticking a lawn, uh, a, a lawn sign, or sign, yeah, a lawn sign, in in the front of the house, and advertising it for lease. And so I had applications printed up. Um, I interviewed. Uh, I didn't know how to do a screening or a qualification, but I basically interviewed potential tenants. I picked one who I felt good. It was more of a gut feel. Uh, managed that property myself over the course of a number of years, and it was pretty much textbook. And that was my first deal. And it, it just worked out well. And I, I just believed that I could do it. I knew I could do it. Now, the biggest mistake I made at that time, and I didn't know it at the time, but in hindsight, I realized that it was a huge mistake is I sold that property. 
you should never sell your real estate. Now, you could do a tax deferred exchange. You could do a 1031 exchange to unlock the equity and move to another market and maybe grow your portfolio. But the mistake I made back then is I thought, oh man, I've got tens of thousands of equity in this property. I, I did great. You know, I was really proud of myself, pat myself on the back. But the thing is, is what do you do? You take that money out. And if you don't reinvest it and leverage it up into more income, you end up spending it on stupid things like cars and, you know, vacations and other kinds of things. And so that was my mistake, but I learned a lot from that first deal. That's, that's great. And I, I completely agree with you. Um, and so with that first deal, you were managing yourself. Um, it seems like everything's going well. You sold it, but then how did you get into the next one? Well, I, at that time, I was slowly buying properties because I, I had a job. I had a job. It was, at the time, it was, re, it was a good paying job. It was probably... I don't know. I, I, this was long ago. I, I would say I was making $16 an hour, which back then was, you know, decent, mm-hmm. decent income. Um, but you can only save up so much so fast. And so, you know, my, my accumulation was slow. Um, but I was an entrepreneur and I started businesses. Some were successful, some failed. And I, you know, I could, I put together money wherever I could. Um, I, I didn't really start to accelerate my, my investing until 2003, 2004, because Make a long story short, what else essentially happened is one of the businesses I got involved in as a third partner was um, a, a quote-unquote dot-com business, and that was in 1999. We launched it in 2000. We raised $9.5 million from venture capital funding. We brought on a CEO. We brought on a COO. The idea was to take it public, so we got to a point where we were approaching mezzanine financing, and then after that, we would a file for an IPO. And back then, you know, everybody, pets.com, I mean, think about <laughs> it. Everybody was trying to launch a, a, an internet business. Well, unfortunately, the NASDAQ crashed. The stock market crashed. I believe it was February of 2001, if I'm not mistaken, February, March. It was early on. So at that point, the, the, uh, the funding dried up. Venture capitalists weren't funding businesses anymore. And so I didn't want to get back into the corporate world. I was, I, you know, it was, it was tiring. I was exhausted. I worked long hours to, ter- to help build this business. And the thing is, I didn't want to go back into the corporate world and climb a corporate ladder and have a job. So I took some time off. Fortunately, I, I was able to sustain me and my family just with the, you know, the limited income that we had uh, in our passive income and our savings and all that kind of stuff. It gave me some time to sit back and reflect. So long story short, two years went by. I get this email I don't know how I got on this list, but I got an email from Robert Allen, who's a famous author. He's well-known. He's one of the godfathers of nothing down real estate. And mid-year in 2003, he had a free seminar in Orange County. Um, I had free time on my hands, so I I decided to go. And it was a great three-day event. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I remember the speaker, a guy named Glenn, was so engaging. He he had you riveted to your seat with everything he, that came out of his mouth. And I just got re I was always excited about real estate, but he reignited that flame and he, and he made me make the decision to get back into real estate full time. And that's exactly what I did. I got involved. I got engaged. I started going to boot camps, started meeting a lot of investors. I started buying real estate. Um, and, and then investors were coming to me saying, Hey, I need help. So that's how the whole thing evolved over, you know, those years is just, I've always been looking for a way to create, um, you know, financial freedom. 
Yeah, you're definitely an entrepreneur. That's, that's, um, I'm kept in the same cloth. So you said you got 84 properties and you were so busy um, with those 84 properties. People would come and talk to you about the properties. Um, so tell us about how, like, were they all single family homes? Were they multifamily? Explain about the 84 that you got. Uh, they were made up of single families, duplexes, fourplexes. There was a sixplex in that mix um, and a few small apartments. So it was, it was all over the place. And then the next question I get asked is, well, how did you finance all those properties? Well, if you remember back then in, you know, 03, 04, <laughs> 05, you could fog a mirror and get financing. <laughs> so it wasn't hard to get financing. Um, there were a lot of portfolio lenders. and Some of them were even commercial loans. I mean, it was, it was that easy to get financing. If you had decent credit, uh, there was a lot of stated income loans. And as long as you could, you know, make it look good on paper, uh, you can get financing. So the credit was there. And, and that's the key, you know, is, is the credit. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually even structured some of those deals as nothing down. So I was able to finance them uh, and get money back at closing. So if you could do that and you're in the right market, um, it works. But, um, but yeah, it, it, it took time and effort, but I, I was able to do it. It's just you have to be diligent and aggressive with it. Yeah, you have to keep working towards it. So with buying them in 2004, we know a crash in 2008, 2009 crash. What happened to those properties? Did, did, um, were you still sitting really well? The income was working uh, through very fine. Did you have to let some of them go? How did that work out? Well, I, I went through a rebalancing and repositioning of, of my portfolio. Um, so I did liquidate a lot of them. And, and what ended up happening here, this was the trigger point. Uh, in 2006, I got a phone call from one of the mortgage brokers that we were working with. We did a lot of loans through this, this person and this brokerage. And we had, the day he called me, we had 35, um, we had 35 deals in escrow, our clients, you know, 35 properties in escrow. And he calls me up. He says, well, we got a little bit of a problem. He said, the primary lender that we use just pulled their loan program. They're, they're no longer funding this type of loan. And it was a stated income loan at the time. Um, but the, the writing was on the wall. And as soon as he said that, I, I realized, you know what? <clears throat> I think lenders are dialing into the fact that people might be over leveraged. There might be a little bit, uh, um, you know, the financing might be a little too loose. and so. Uh, I started to realize that, you know, the end is near and the end didn't actually happen until 2008. But in 2006, we started to see the signs, the cracks were starting to show. And 2007 is when we realized there's a lot of speculation going on, tons of it, a lot of it in California, Florida, Nevada, um, Arizona. Those were really the, th- the four main states where we saw um, what we call ground zero of, of you know, the, the real estate or the housing bust. Um, but 2006 was the time when I realized, you know what, I need to start liquidating some of these assets. Now, most of them were cash flow positive. Not all of my properties were cash flow positive. But, um, but I realized that now's the time to start taking chips off the table. And rather than, rather than sell and take that money and put it into other real estate, I actually took a cash position on a lot of it. Um, some of it I put into precious metals, you know, mostly silver, but some gold. and um, uh, what else did I do with it? Um, I just kind of sat back for a couple of years. There was, there was a couple of years that, that, that things were really slow. They, as I remember, 2009, 2010, things kind of ground to a halt. And then, you know, then things started to pick up in 2010. And then when we saw the bounce off the trough was in 2012. 
that's when things really start to heat up pretty much everywhere. So, so I, looking at today's investing environment, um, how would you suggest anybody looking to get in for everything you've been through, been through the, the rise up and the crash and everything you've seen now, um, how would you suggest somebody to get started to find their find and buy their first property? What would you suggest to them? Wow. That, okay. That question is a whole episode in itself. <laughs> so um, the thing is, is how do you get started? And I mean, are you asking how to start and what to look for or how to start? So like, um, okay, let's um, narrow it down a little bit. So if you were to go back and tell your, your, you know, 18 year old self and um, you wanted to give any advice of how to get started, what to do, what to look for, just, just a a general overview, what would you say to yourself? At a 40,000 foot level, what I would tell myself or anyone is accumulate as much investment capital as you can as fast as you can and i know we've you know we've had these conversations uh which means you know cut back on your expenses save as much as you can and increase your income as much as you possibly can you want to bank as much as you can and then go broke as often as you can and what i mean by going broke is you accumulate as much investment capital as you can and then deploy it into investment property whether it's a single family home, one after another, or a duplex, or if you have enough for a fourplex, just start accumulating real estate in the right markets, in the right locations. So that so step one is build your investment capital as quickly as you can. Step two um, would be to find the right markets. And you can do this with a team. You know, this is important. You have to work with a team. You have to have the right people around you. But you want to find the right markets that make sense from an investment perspective. They have a sound housing market and a good economy. They have jobs and job growth, and they have ideally positive migration. Then with your team, you identify the neighborhoods in that market that makes the most sense, meaning they have strong uh, tenant demand, they they have a lot of appeal, uh, they have a good uh, tenant pool, um, ideally good school districts, although that's not critical, it's good to have uh, low crime, and then you start analyzing deals. So that's the second part of, of it is, is identifying the markets in the areas. A lot of people don't do that or they do it backwards. They start looking at properties and then they start thinking maybe if they even get that far, they start looking at the neighborhood that it's in uh, and then the market. And sometimes they realize, oh, I'm in the middle of a war zone or I'm in a really you know, distressed area. It, it, I shouldn't even be here. You can't move your property. You know, you're married to the neighborhood. So um, that would be the second thing is assemble the right team and then start evaluating different markets around the country. And we're in a big country. There's 404 metropolitan areas. Um, You know, what happens in San Diego is different than what happens in Detroit, which is different than what happens in San Francisco. So you got to learn how to pick the right markets. So accumulate the investment capital, deploy it, and invest it in the right income properties in the right markets. That's that's the 40,000 foot view. I completely agree with you. So how would somebody, and on your show, on my show, we talk about having property managers and being able to invest out of state. How would you suggest to somebody who is nervous about investing across the country? Because I know you, you, you have done it many times. Um, how would you suggest to somebody get over that, those nerves and what they should look for, what they should do so they can then say, you know, if they're living in, in San Diego where they can't buy a property, it's, it's really hard to make income from those properties instead of buying the Midwest. Like what would you suggest to them in order to do it well? 
Yeah, so we deal with this question all the time. You know, we have six investment counselors and they, they hear this frequently. Although it's not a concern once we're talking to somebody because they've already gotten over that mental hurdle of um, having, you know, the, the, the issues they may have or they think they may have investing out of their local market. But the reality is this, if, if I am very bullish on the stock market and I wanted to invest in Coca-Cola because I believe Coca-Cola is the best deal going, it's undervalued, it's got the greatest potential, and I happen to live in Orange County, California, am I gonna hold myself back from investing in Coca-Cola because they're headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, and I live in California? Of course not, it's silly. You're, 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 it's, it would be a mental block for me to prevent myself from investing in, in a company like Coke because of that. The same thing is true with real estate. You may live, you may love where you live, but it may, it may not be the ideal investment market. It, you know, it may be overpriced, unaffordable. The numbers may not work out. You may not be able to get you know, what we often refer to as a 1% rent to value or rent to price ratio, which is you know, a litmus test. It's not hard and fast. But if you don't have that luxury in your backyard, in your local market, or even within you know, a couple of hours of, of where you live, then you have to look in other markets. And so when you strip the emotional elements out of your decision-making and you focus your investments on rational thought and logic and you, you, you really just pencil it out and realize, okay, if I have a good investment in a good neighborhood, in a good market, and I have a professional full-service property management company that's managing that property on a monthly and daily basis, and I'm just engaged with them to uh, be my, the CEO of my real estate company and I book the income that comes in and just make sure that you know the income comes in and the expenses are paid, expenses meaning you know your property taxes and your mortgage payment, the debt service. Then I'm running my business and I'm running it intelligently. A lot of people have this mental hurdle of thinking that they need to be able to drive by their property within a, you know, within a one or two mile radius of where they live. But the thing is, the thing is at the end of the day, that doesn't change anything. Just because I can drive by the property every single morning on the way to work does not change anything. It doesn't change the income. It doesn't make it uh, a better deal. It's, it's just a mental block. Yeah, it just makes you feel more comfortable as best as it can. You know, it's still, you still have a mortgage on it. You still have to have expenses and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, Marco, this, this is maybe a tricky question, but you hopefully um, have, have um, something you can come up with really quick. So, what is one failure that you can that you have in your past that you could say um, basically helping us to learn from your failures in the past? Is there anything that any words of wisdom like, hey, I did this, watch out for this? Is there anything you could share? Well, yes, there's two of them we already talked about. Um, one is never sell your real estate. I mean, it, it just sounds so high level and superficial. Uh, but the reality is you never do. You always want to hold your real estate. And if you have to sell it for whatever reason, outside of an emergency, of course, um, you want to take that equity and simply move it to places where it's going to produce better returns for you, meaning it works harder for you. Number two is always take a top-down approach. This is actually my sixth rule of my 10 rules of successful real estate investing. Take a top-down approach. Start with the market work your way down to the areas or suburbs, work your way down to the neighborhoods, and then start looking at specific deals that make sense financially and in terms of the condition of the property. 
And you do this with your team. You don't do this entirely on your own. You could, but you're taking the, high, the, the hard road instead of the right way. Um, so, so the point there is, and, and, and the second answer to your question is, is make sure you consider the location of the property. I did make the mistake, as I said before, of buying properties because they looked great. They were in good condition. They were rent ready. They were tenant occupied. They cash flowed. The numbers on paper looked great. But what I didn't know at the time, you know, because I just wasn't that experienced, is that I was buying in very distressed areas, like what I would call like CC minus areas. And the, the amount of tenant problems and tenant turnover and damage created by my tenants basically blew my annual cash flow out the window. And so even though I was cash flow positive in most months, the expenses, were, the turnover was so great that it washed out my cash flow. And to make matters worse, some of those properties were actually in areas that were pretty flat price-wise for a long time. So the potential for it to appreciate was very low. So I couldn't gain on the uh, cash flow end and I couldn't gain on the appreciation. And so it was basically a dead investment. To take that one step further, um, this is something I give as a suggestion and it's kind of my litmus test is I won't buy property in areas that don't have a retail market. In other words, if I had to buy, I want to know that there are a retail buyers in that area, people who are actually looking to buy property as, as a home, not necessarily as a rental, but as a home. So I want a retail market. That's if there's no retail market, I, I walk to the next area. And number two, if it, usually if there's no retail buyer, there's no comps. And so if you don't have any comps, it's hard to get financing. And so you need financing for most people uh, to be able to buy in an area. Um, and then if I was to throw a, th a third one, call it a bonus, I'll throw a third one in there. Um, make sure you're working with a professional full service property management company. Um, and, and this is all we work, you know, that's all we work with within our company, you know, um, and, and with our clients. But I did make the mistake early on in working with real estate agents who were doing property management. And I found that to be a mistake. And I'm not saying all agents are bad. Um, I'm just saying that you want someone who specializes in management. There are a lot of real estate agents out there who have the license and the ability to do property management. But I want my management company to be focused exclusively on doing property management. A real estate agent that does property management on the side or part time is not necessarily the best option for you. Those are so. great, great pieces of advice. Now, moving on from there. Um, so I've had um, lots and lots of people, lots of students ask me about turnkey properties. I even did a podcast episode. I can't remember which one it was, maybe like 14, 15, 16, something like that, where I talked to, because I got so many questions about turnkey properties, in my opinion. And after talking to you, I wanted to get more information out of you about turnkey properties because at your business with Norada Real Estate Investments. Um, and so I, my opinion is, well, you can do it yourself and you're leaving a lot of money on the table. There's, there's a lot of issues. Plus you can get ripped off so many bad things, which I know you know about it. But your business, um, you have uh, multiple markets, you have uh, m multiple people that are basically teams of people working. So help me, or I guess this is the way I could say, um, uh, usually I tell my students, you can do it yourself, 
So just go ahead and do it yourself instead of going with a turnkey property uh, company. So let me ask you, so tell me about Norada Real Estate Investments and why it's a good option. And I, after talking to you, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could see how it could be a good option for a, a good amount of people or, or certain people like you've said in the past. Um, so tell us about Norada Real Estate Investments and about turnkey properties. Um, and then I'll ask you, after you're done talking about that, I'll ask you how to make sure you don't get into a bad turnkey company. <clears throat> okay, so um, good question and thanks for asking. So we find that investors fall on a spectrum. They're on the far end of the spectrum. They are an active real estate investor. They, they love rolling up their sleeves and getting involved at whatever level. They want to find the deal and or they may want to manage the deal, manage the subcontractors. They want to finance it with hard money. They realize it's a distressed property or a distressed seller. Um, but there's a lot of moving parts. There's there's better upside potential for building value, meaning building equity in from the front end. Um, but there's also a lot more risk elements involved. On the other end of that spectrum, the far other end of that spectrum is you've got the most passive of real estate investors, people who maybe not necessarily invest in, 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 in REITs or other paper assets on Wall Street, but actually want to be direct owners and have direct control over the real estate. But they, they want to be engaged in the beginning in terms of finding the deal and doing the due diligence. Um, but then once they put it in their portfolio, they just want to collect the cash flow every month and, and focus on their friends, family, their careers, and, and just live their life. But they still want to own that real estate and benefit from it over the long term. So that's the passive investor. Those are typically the clients that we deal with or the people who love real estate, want to invest in real estate, need the help and the teams to do it. Uh, but don't want to go any further than that. And so you need to ask yourself the question, where do I fit on that spectrum? And if you are more of the passive type of real estate investor, then, you know, a solution or a company like ours where we have the vetted teams and we're in multiple markets, 22 actually, um, we have that inventory ready to go. And if they're, they're completely turnkey, fully renovated, tenant occupied, cash flow positive, they're in good markets. They're in good neighborhoods, typically what we define as a B, B plus, and A minus type neighborhood because that gives you the best balance between um, cash flow and uh, potential appreciation or you know, potential growth. Um, that's the kind of product and the solution that we offer. If you look at the profile or demographic of the people we serve, our clients, they're often, I mean, they span the whole gamut, but often they're typically professionals, people who have careers, they might be dentists, doctors. Um, they're not necessarily wealthy or rich people, although we do have many of those, but they're people who are saying, look, I don't want to do it all by myself. And I don't want, I don't have a lot of the extra time to go through the learning curve or go through the experience of trying to vet and find these different types of team players and providers. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but essentially that's the business model and that's who we serve. So it's a nationwide provider of turnkey rental properties. And we try to serve everybody from newbie to, you know, people who've got 50 units in their portfolio. And we do, we service everybody in between. At the end of the day, it's, we've got something that is, I like to say 80% done. We're handing it to you on a silver platter. You're not dis, disengaged. You're still involved. You're still responsible. You still have to do your due diligence and we help you do that. But, um, but it's a great way to fast track uh, building your portfolio without having to roll up your sleeves and do the distressed work in the managing of the crews. 
Yeah, that's, that's, um, that makes a ton of sense. So the way I usually do it is I'll have, I, I make sure I have a good property manager that's going to be able to do all that work. So I usually, there's only been one property that I've actually done. Um, uh, basically from California, I was rehabbing a property in Houston. I did it myself. Did it, I didn't even, I've never even been to Houston or Texas in general. I bought the house and rehabbed and did all that stuff myself, but um, relying on other people. But um, uh, I usually use property managers, but it looks like, I, and I completely agree that having a turnkey company, a good <clears throat> turnkey company would be really good. Now give me um, an understanding of, obviously if there, there are many out there and if anybody, they, they um, have said, well, I know there are plenty of turnkey properties out there. How do I make sure I don't pick the wrong one? Obviously, Narada Real Estate Investments is, is one that, that, you, that you created from your many, um, lots of experience and been in 22 markets, which is great. Um, but there are some bad ones out there. How do we not go with the bad ones? How do we know what to, what to look for? Well, two, two big pieces of advice. I mean, you could, you could probably look into other things too. One, one is certainly reputation. And, you know, with the internet today, it's, it's a dual-edged sword. You know, it's damned if you have it, damned if you don't. Um, there are people who are vocal and there are people who will, I'm not going to mention any specific names. I, you know, there's certain companies and people that come to mind that you can find, um, a lot of dirt on, if you will, on online, but just doing your research and your investigation online, you can find out a lot about uh, what other people are saying about companies and their, their experiences and the ups and downs that they've had. Now there's no squeaky clean perfect company out there every company you you know even mcdonald's and walmart have you know literally thousands of complaints but um but that's a starting point it's just what is their reputation and it starts with an online reputation you can also talk to the people and the companies that they work with and they can give you a lot of feedback as to you know you know how they service their clients and how responsive they are and the types of products and people that they work with believe it or not that's not hard to do and a lot of people don't do that, but that's a great way to vet for yourself companies that are out there. The second thing too is, um, this is kind of a common sense thing that maybe is not as common until you start educating yourself, but what is the, what are they selling? Like, what is the product that they have? There are companies out there, um, again, I'm not going to mention any names, but they come to mind where they're selling what I, I jokingly say crack houses but they're often like 30, 40, even maybe $50,000 homes that are in really sketchy areas. They may look great. They may be beautifully renovated. At least, you know, the photos show that. Um, the numbers certainly are very attractive on paper. But again, you know, to some of the things we were talking about before, you can, you can buy a beautiful home in, in, in a war zone or a dilapidated area or an area where it's going to be very sketchy. You're going to have a lot of tenant problems because of the type of tenants that are drawn to that area. So ask yourself, you know, am I, what am I investing in? What am I buying? Uh, some properties seem attractive and they are cheap. And a lot of investors say to me, Hey, I want to start small quote unquote, or I want to, you know, just dip my toe in the water. And what they're thinking is I'm going to buy something or invest in something that is relatively cheap. You know, that's maybe $50,000, $60,000. Maybe it's an all-cash $40,000 property. You're buying yourself a headache. Do not start small by, by investing in something that is on the low end of that price spectrum. That's, that's really not starting the right way. You should be really focused on premium areas, not high-end areas, but better quality areas to get a good experience, a good tenant, to have the right um, 
you know, the, the right setup and build your portfolio on a strong foundation. So uh, back to your question, one is reputation across the board, online and talking to other people that they work with. And two is look and question what it is they're selling you or have available as a potential investment. Because if, if, if you can't check all the boxes, the things we were talking about before, right market, right neighborhood, right management company, right type of tenant, right scope of work, right inspection, all those kinds of things, then, then there's obviously issues or red flags. That's, that's a great list. Um, and that's something that I'll definitely put in the show notes so that everybody can see. Um, and, and obviously, if they go to, um, what's your website? So it's Norada Real Estate Investments, but what's your website and how can people find you if they want to know more about you and listen to your podcast and all that stuff? Yeah, thank you for asking. So the core website, the main website is noradarealestate.com, N-O-R-A-D-A, noradarealestate.com. Uh, tons of free resources. We post most of the properties that we have and they're all off market. You know, they're not listed MLS. Some of them we do put on MLS, but most of them are not. Um, that's the main website. That's the 15 year old website, 16 year old website. Uh, the sister site is passiverealestateinvesting.com and that's the home of our show, our podcast. So Marco, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and your many, many years of, of being able to um, invest and make money and be able to change your life. And now you have um, not just your rental properties, but you have that turnkey company business and as well as other businesses. I know you're, you're an entrepreneur, so you're constantly busy. So thank you very, very much for being on the show. It's been an honor, Dustin. Thank you for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Now, wasn't that super awesome? Marco is a great guy. I've had a chance to talk to him a number of times now. Super, super guy. And I'm actually going to bring him on for even more great content in my Ultimate Real Estate Investing course. And the system that I've created that helps people go from no business, no money, no properties to having a fully run automatic business that runs itself that you can keep continuing to build. I'm going to have him in there as an expert interviewee. So he's going to give, actually, I've already interviewed him. So he gives so much more content of how to do the business right, how to invest well. He gives 20 principles on how to do the business right. He, he does it so well, and it's an expert interview. And so inside the course, I have a bunch of extra interviews for you that are even way and above and beyond the things that you learn on the podcast. Now, I am so excited that you're here with me. I want to give you something for free and I want you to go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. I'll give you my free course. You get there and you can see how amazing rental properties are. Go there, sign up for that, get that in here so you can start actually implementing the things and start buying properties. Now, there's a ton of links I just gave for you. Now, in that, I'm going to put them in my description of this podcast. So go there. Also, it's in the show notes. I'll have the everything in there as well. But I want to tell you, yeah, you guys are fantastic. I really love seeing how there's so many more people getting into real estate because of the podcast. And so if you got a little bit out of this podcast episode, would you please share it with just one person? I would really, really appreciate it. I know they would appreciate it because they, you think about somebody, if somebody has cancer and you have the cure to cancer, well, wouldn't you love them by telling them the cure or giving them the cure? Of course you would. Well, we have the cure to having a job. We have the cure so that we would never, ever work a job again. And we want to share that with people. That's why I do this podcast, because I want to share it with people the beauty of never working a job and still having money come in. All right, guys. Again, thank you so much for being here with me. I'll see you next week. You guys take care of yourself. Get out there and start investing. Peace out.